0: Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions, and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. <laughs> Hello to you listeners and hello to Bass founder, Lynn Hilton, who is with me today. How are you, Lynn? Are you over the jet lag from your trip back from Australia?
1: Oh, yes. The last few days I've been feeling much more normal, uh, but it, it always surprises me how long it takes me. And I've made a very strict policy about not making any major decisions within three weeks of landing because I just can't rely on my brain being, you know, actually back to normal until after that but at least physically i have been doing some things if i'm honest i i i've been needing a lot more energy and so i've had to go and make sure that i'm doing that to support myself so i've been doing um a bunch of certain types of exercises that increase my nitric oxide and eating really well doing mind mindfulness listening stuff as well um and just getting outdoors and walking if I don't do that I'll just feel fatigued and tired and it affects my voice as well like I can my voice now is not totally back to normal but mentally I'm I'm, I'm much more on it <laughs> so I can talk more intelligently right now
0: <laughs> well welcome back my brain does that and I've not even been on a plane <laughs> i can't even make decisions at the best of times um but today we're going to continue the topic that we introduced on episode 62 of this podcast where we discussed how to select the best vocal exercises for a perceived vocal fault and we're going to put the focus on the larynx and in particular selecting the best exercise for finding larynx stability so firstly lynn what does larynx stability actually mean and secondly Why might we need it, and what do we need to consider first before we select Mm. our exercise?
1: Yeah, so it's it's an interesting question because the larynx, certainly in bel canto, uh, has always been positioned in a neutral or low place, and and I think that fed into vocal pedagogy when singing teachers started working with contemporary singers. And... In the beginning when I first started my training um, with speech level singing there was a focus for more neutral position. So for me it really just means does the singer have control over the height of their larynx because there's definitely times at which the height of the larynx will impede the sound and the ability to produce pitch uh, as well as negotiate the transition. Uh, So when I put bass together, I initially started with the idea that we need a neutral, neutral low larynx, but that never sat quite comfortably with me because I noticed in my own clients when I was working with singers who came from particular genres like musical theatre or gospel or rock that their larynx seemed to need to be higher in order to get the vocal qualities that they wanted. So I've changed my guidelines with respect to where the larynx should or shouldn't sit. And so we talk about a larynx being too high or too low or more neutral or neutral high or neutral low. Now the neutral high and neutral low are very kind of arbitrary (laughs) placements and take time and experimenting and feedback and Guidance in order to find it's very difficult to sort of pinpoint exactly is that too high or not high enough? Quite often you'll discover after the fact that actually maybe it's been sitting a little bit too high because you'll find your voices have impacted In terms of what we would consider first When the teachers addressing whatever issue they're hearing they have to identify, is it actually the larynx that's the problem? So is it because the larynx is going too high or too low, or is it because there's too much air, or there's not enough vocal foreclosure, or maybe there's not enough intrinsic muscle engagement? So for the most part, I don't feel like there's any harm in starting with focusing on the larynx because most singers don't even realise that they can control the height of their larynx uh, so it's not a bad way to start uh, and you're not going to do any harm to do exercises around that area um, you just might find you're not getting very quick results if actually the problem is because there's not enough vocal fold closure or because there's too much air being pushed through Having said that, like with most things in singing, everything tends to happen not in isolation but, you know, in conjunction with other things. And sometimes you'll hear someone's um, voice crack or flip as they go up through the transition into the higher part of their range. And you might think it's because they're pushing too much air but it might be because the larynx is coming up and now the vocal folds just can't... Um, coordinate correctly for that pitch and so they fall apart or there's too much TA involved or there's too much pressure under the the glottis. And so it's just the crack and the flip. It's just an adjustment that the larynx is making so that you can go to that next place. Um, But it may be because there's too much air or it might be because someone's larynx is coming up but more often than not the two things come together. So I would definitely say that starting with the larynx even if that's not what the original problem is is not a major issue um, in terms of whether or not you're going to do any harm it's more about whether or not that's the most efficient and quickest way to solve the problem
0: Mm. so let's have a little look at some scenarios then so how would you build an exercise for a singer whose larynx is tracking pitch, and that might be something that we see more of in maybe beginner singers, where their larynx rises up with each ascending pitch and maybe also lowers with each descending pitch. So what would you do there?
1: That's a really common problem. Uh, And it's not just beginners, actually. Uh, I think it's quite instinctual for the larynx to track the pitch and so you'll find as the singer gets higher in the melody the larynx wants to go up as well so I think the very first step is awareness isn't it it's just like this is what's going on this is why your voice feels like and sounds like it does and let's get some awareness in and so I would do this exercise where you actually get the student to place their fingers uh, at the flat part of the fingers on their larynx explain a little bit about what the different lumps are and that the bigger lump is the front of the, the larynx, the Adam's apple, and ask them to notice what happens as they're singing. You might also get them to do a couple of um, exercises like swallowing or yawning and identify what happens to those lumps uh, as, as they start to do these things. So at the beginning of a swallow, the lump will probably go up. And um, at the beginning of the yawn, the larynx or the lump will go down. And so now that student starts to experience, oh, this is larynx going up, this is larynx coming down. And then you can get them just to count out loud, um, up to five and notice, oh, what's the larynx doing now? Probably not moving. You know, If we've got a normal functioning larynx, we would expect the larynx to sit pretty neutrally and not to move too much. It might move a little bit, but it's not going to go up as high as it does um, as they're singing. So I think awareness is the very first step. And you could start with an exercise where you say, let's just exaggerate that lower larynx first as you sing up through the transition uh, on the melody and keep that sort of, I'm almost about to do a yawn. Uh, position in your larynx so that the student starts to feel what it's like to go through that part of the melody with the larynx not tracking up. So that's the physical exercise. Then you could actually get them to create some sort of um, vocal quality like a dopey sound or um, pretending that you're Homo Simpson, duh, you know, as you sing and see whether that makes any difference. So quite often one of those two will be enough to help the student experience singing through that part of the melody without the larynx actually hiking up too high.
0: And does that matter where the melody is in the range? Is there a point where actually we would want the larynx to rise and a point where actually it's okay to still keep that dopier quality to make it a little bit more neutral?
1: well the problem obviously with the dopier vocal quality is that that makes it sound dopey like this you know and people don't want to sound like that the time when it's okay for the larynx to come up or when you want it to come up is if you're belting so but the question is how high (laughs) and um and also what else are you doing in conjunction with the acoustics you know how are you tuning in that uh, second harmonic, you know, in order to get that belted sound. So your larynx will come up because you're decreasing the amount of space that's in the pharynx area in, uh, in order to get that quality of the beltedness. But the problem is it's really easy from that point to actually overshoot and go too high. And so it becomes very much about repetition, feedback, experimentation, listening back. Uh, talking about how it feels, how it sounds, um, tracking whether the pitch is accurate or not. So the fact is we can sing with a higher larynx in that belted um, coordination and still be very much in tune. Uh, So for me it's about, well, what are the criteria? It's got to be in tune. It's got to sound belted. You know, It's got to have that quality. Uh, It's got to be um, easy to do. Uh, there shouldn't be any um, strain uh, or pain, certainly not. It shouldn't compromise the voice after using that either. So you shouldn't have a hoarse voice or any kind of loss of voice afterwards. So sometimes as a teacher and as a singer, we're spending more time experimenting and trying to figure that out. And In fact, I was listening to David Phelps, who's uh, someone we use as an example of a really good belter and actually just singer all round got amazing control over his his um, voice and he was saying that he spent years trying to find the perfect belt and he actually worked on every single note Mm. he didn't just try to do it as an overall thing and it took him you know a matter of years and in fact it was doing it wrong that ended up him going and getting seeking help from somebody to find out how to do it right so he did it wrong for a long time and still managed to perform get gigs get admiration get applause get standing ovations you know for his sound but he knew it wasn't exactly right because he was fatiguing so mm. he was losing his voice and um so then he went and sought the help of somebody who could help him understand how to make the acoustic adjustments that supported the belted quality without compromising the vocal health so what i'm trying to say here is that there's no overnight quick fix to this um we're changing muscle memory we're building neural pathways that may be brand new you know if you've got a singer who's never had belted sound you know this is brand new to them then there's so many steps in the process for for them to get used to it and then proficient at it Um, so initially I think we're just focusing on the fact that we can control the larynx that ideally as we're going up through the transition we want to be able to do it with a neutral larynx and with a raised larynx to get belted quality, or if we want to have a little bit more edge into the sound, uh, but that takes time to build in and needs guidance and feedback, and um, you know can't can you know we need to make sure that we're keeping the voice safe as we're doing that.
0: And if you've done the awareness exercises and you notice that somebody has got a depressed larynx instead of it tracking pitch it's really getting a little bit low and keeping a dopey quality how would you go about helping that singer
1: mm. yes yeah, so the problem with uh the larynx going too low is that now the vocal folds can't approximate they can't come together so we get this ah oh, oh. and my vocal folds can't come together but if i keep my larynx in a more neutral position, Ah, now my vocal folds can come together and they can create pitch and sound. So once again, we go through awareness and then we might do an exercise that's close to the idea of speaking, but at pitch. So I might say something like, let's count down um, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 at pitch, but not spend a lot of time on that note. So 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, just talk it and get used to that sensation of a lower note but with the larynx in that more spoken position and then you can transfer it over to sounds you know bah is a really good one having a, a consonant that um has occlusion at the beginning and at the end like bub or bum or butt they can be quite helpful in keeping that more spoken like approach to the pitch. And then once the singer starts to feel that, you can then add in some more um, sustained notes. Another thing is thinking about what vowel are you using. So some vowels uh, have a tendency to drive the resonance to a more headier space, and others to a more chestier space for wanted better ways to describe it. (laughs) Um, I have no other way of describing it. It just makes sense to me. So, like, for instance, ooh, ooh, tends to be heady, ooh. Ah, ah, doesn't take much for me to make that uh, resonate more fully. So I might use an ah or an ah or an eh to reinforce that vocal fold closure or the, um increase the uh, the close quotient um, during their glottal cycle so that we get more volume and uh, more resonance. And then eventually we want, of course, the student to be able to sing all the vowels and sounds in that way. And It's just a gradual process. So I usually toggle back and forth between the one that they can't do and the ones they can do until eventually the body starts to feel, oh, yes, this is what I should be doing, this is how it should feel, this is where it is. One of the big problems for us as teachers is that we're having to work with our singers in a very proprioceptive manner in terms of we cannot see the instrument, the singer can't see the instrument, and many singers are not tuned into the feeling of singing either, um, and they have no idea what their instrument is looks like or how it works and so helping a a, a student understand that will also reinforce um, the more functional side because then the student can imagine what might be happening at the level of the vocal folds.
0: Mm. And in our first discussion in episode 62 we touched upon the fact that certain things might actually be secondary to another So what might we need to consider in terms of the depression of the larynx? What else might be actually feeding into that other than it being a larynx stability issue?
1: It's really important to understand that the tongue is a huge muscle and it is attached to the hyoid bone, which is attached to the, the body of the larynx, so the thyroid cartilage and then ultimately the cartilage. So whatever's happening at the level of the tongue, uh, especially the root of the tongue, will probably have an impact on the larynx. Though it tends to be tension. So we get tongue tension there and that will raise the larynx. Um, I suppose it could impose the larynx if someone has a tendency to bring their tongue right back uh, without any tension Um, but that I haven't really thought about it in that way so much definitely in terms of the larynx um, coming up if we've got a lot of tension in in the root of the tongue this may be part of the reason that the larynx is coming up and so that might be once again awareness or doing exercises with the tongue out so that you disengage the root of the tongue I know that Kerry O'Bert has a lot of thoughts about root of tongue and blaming the tongue all the time for the pro- you know for voice problems. Uh, so she's certainly someone that might be worth following up to find out what um, what she says. And in the membership, we have actually a masterclass from her about that very thing. She mm-hmm. feels like the tongue gets very unfairly blamed. <laughs> mm. So I guess any tension in the extrinsic muscles, so those muscles lying outside of the larynx, will have an impact on the larynx. Uh, Though more often than not, as far as I know, it's about um, tension causing the larynx to come up, so that seems to be much more of a problem than in position, unless there's something else that you know, that mm. I haven't thought
0: about. I was just, no, I was thinking of the the same sort of thing of if the tongue is pulling backwards, if we have more of, Kerioba talks about the tug of war in terms of if there's more energy at the back, it could be impacting what the larynx is doing, whereas if we have a bit more forward energy, it can balance out that tug of war. Um, game between the back of the tongue and the front of the tongue, so it can maybe influence um, a little bit more balance in the in the larynx.
1: Mm. Look, the whole thing about singing is balance, isn't it? It's about, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it is that. I don't know if tug of war is the right word, but it's definitely this constant. I always talk about the seesaw effect. Like mm. we we're, we're always on the seesaw of voice. You know, it's it's there's never a time when it's just sitting there, absolutely perfect still and i mean i don't even think the word perfect's right there it's more about actually just like we are when we walk we're constantly balancing we just don't know that we're doing that mm. we're constantly making bodily adjustments as we walk as we stand <clears throat> if we're running or if we're doing exercises um it's just that we don't do it um we're not so conscious of it it's just we're letting the body figure it out you know cuz That's what the ears are there for and, you know, aspects of the brain, that's what it focuses on and that's all running in the background. And I guess with voice, that's what we're doing as well is we're setting things up so that this can run in the background so that the singer eventually can forget all about these exercises and thinking about the tongue or the jaw or the whatever, you know, the larynx. And actually just get on with singing and focusing on delivering the message and communicating to the audience and uh, getting into the more creative aspect of of performing. Mm -hmm. So as a teacher, unfortunately, most of our time is spent with these technical um, exercises, focusing on correcting things. But we have to also remember that eventually the end goal is actually a singer being able to sing freely. uh, having done all the work that gets them to the place where they can do this um, as they're, you know, it's, it's sort of like a work in progress as they're, as they're performing in the background, all of these things are, mecha- you know, happening, all these mechanisms are happening in balance. Mm.
0: Mm. And what sort of role does the uh, do the suprahyoid muscles have in terms of bringing the larynx up? Because those are the ones that are swallowing muscles aren't they and they're they're stronger than the ones that help the larynx to lower because god forbid if we're munching on our apples and oranges not our nandos and whatever you want (laughs) to whatever you want to eat um it it is gonna need to raise for us to swallow and things not to go into our lungs so how can we help them to ease off a little bit if if we're singing in a way that is a bit more swallow like
1: one of the things i think that the tongue out exercises do. So that's literally singing with your tongue uh, out, flat and relaxed, um, out as far as you can go. Not everyone can stick their tongue right out because they sometimes, um, uh, you know, they've got the tongue tie. So don't worry if someone can't go all the way out. But the tongue out on a on a vowel, ah, ah, ah. So mainly ah and ah. Um, or I think air would work. Air, yeah. So doing that can disengage the muscles, like the suprahyoids and any of the base of um, the root of tongue muscles that might be over engaging. So that's a physical thing you can do. Then of course there's the just being aware as as you're singing. You might even find if someone's got muscle tension in that area that doing some massage at the base under the chin um, in that soft part and spending a little bit of time just digging the the thumbs into that area, massaging it. Um, Another thing that I'll sometimes do is get someone to reset by doing a hop, hop, hop with a low larynx position so that they're resetting the larynx, especially after they've been singing for a while, sometimes the muscles forget to release. Mm So those kind of things can help as well as obviously the previous things that I talked about um, of thinking about a yawn. The problem uh, is if somebody's got um, muscle strain and tension due to muscle tension dysphonia, for instance, then those kind of things may not help a lot because actually the muscles have forgotten how to relax and they need to actually be massaged and manipulated to release first and then you work on these other strategies. So it just depends. So if you've got someone who you feel like has got a history of this tension, it might be worth that they go along and get some laryngeal massage from someone who's obviously trained and qualified to do that.
0: Yeah. And what topics are discussed on the BAST course about the larynx? What do we go into?
1: So we talk about the various positions and why, obviously why we want to do um, fiddle around with the positions. For instance, if we sing on a sustained high larynx over a period of time, then it could lead to vocal pathology. So vocal injury, whether that's muscle tension dysphonia Or nodules or polyps um, or hemorrhage um, or just uh, even just swollen vocal folds which will be enough to create an issue in the voice and we then talk about how it uh, what the implications are in terms of vocal style and genre and then how we can identify when somebody's larynx is going high or low or is in neutral and we do quite a lot of listening and analyzing of voices in that way and of course you know a singer might be fine for most of the song and then just as one little section of the song becomes problematic and our job as the teacher is to maybe focus on the areas that are problematic um, and then reinforce the good stuff and then we talk about different exercises and strategies that we can use in order to help counteract any issues that we're finding in the larynx. Mm. We also look at the anatomy and physiology of the larynx and the muscles that uh, that tie into the the um, the laryngeal body.
0: Mm. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lynn. And if any of you have any particular perceived vocal faults that you'd like us to discuss within this series, then you can get in touch with us via social media. But Lynn, it's great to see you and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Looking to expand your vocal knowledge and add to your teacher toolbox? Then you're in the right place! BAST are here to guide you with our membership, a growing virtual library packed with educational videos spanning a whole host of voice teacher topics. It's just £1 for the first two weeks and £6 each month after that. Now that's what I call a bargain. To join, just head to our website www.basttraining.com